To listen to Memory Card episodes early and ad-free, consider supporting the show via Patreon at patreon.com memcard. Hey there, video game fans. I'm Ben Bootoli. And I'm Scary Push Dustin. And this is Memory Card. Scary Push Dustin, is that really the name that you came up with? Yeah, I think it's really good. Um, Like, I tested it with some kids, and they were really scared of me. Were they kids in Japan? Could they actually understand what you were saying? Um... Or did you just, like, run at them and yell it? I, I, I just went up to some kids and, and yelled, Scary Push Dustin! And they, they all ran away. Yeah, okay. Like, crying, I think. I thought it would be more of, like, yeah, like a pun on your name. But I guess if you, if you tested it and the audience was scared, yeah. then it, it, yeah. it'll work. Scientifically proven. <laughs> Scientific. Tested in the field. Yes. This is our uh, third Halloween special episode. And uh, it got me thinking about the fact that I really didn't play many scary games as a kid. I mean, this has been well established in the past. I was afraid of everything. I never watched scary movies. I I think the most hardcore scary thing I did was like read Goosebumps. Mm -hmm. But as far as video games, there weren't a lot of things that scared me because I didn't I wasn't drawn to those. So was there any games uh, growing up or I guess, you know, uh, as an adult that really like freaked you out in any major ways? Push? Uh, probably the, the one that freaked me out the most was, uh, Amnesia, The Dark Descent. Uh, that's the only one that, like, I really got scared from. It's, it's, like, an indie horror game where you're, like, going through and, um, you have to, like, run away from monsters and you can never quite see the monsters, so it's, it's, it's actually scarier than if you could see them. Does that one have something to do with pigs? Yeah, yeah, there's something to do with pigs. I, I think that's more in the sequel. Oh, okay. And did yeah. it, like, give you nightmares or just kind of make you, like, uncomfortable to watch or... Just maybe a little un- uncomfortable. Um, as a kid, though, I was actually really afraid of aliens. Hmm. Um, my, my dad, like, would watch X-Files. Oh, And yeah. there's one episode of X-Files that, like, I watched with him. And that just, like, really gave me a life- lifelong scare of, um, of aliens. <laughs> um, where, like, I'm still, like, you know, don't trust aliens at all. If they ever appear at my doorstep. <laughs> don't trust aliens at all. Space aliens, we should clarify. Space aliens, I just don't trust them. Um, why are they here? They're probably gonna they're probably gonna conquer us. If you think about it, if aliens can travel all the way here and we can't travel there, that means that they're superior. It's true. That's why I think we haven't really had any alien uh visitors yet. Like I think there are some out there. Oh, you think that humans are superior? No, I'm saying that no one in the galaxy is superior enough to make it to the other species. Mm. We are getting so far off topic. I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I was going to mention the only game that really freaked me out as a kid was Zelda Ocarina of Time. And it was the uh, House of the Skulltilla, I think is how you pronounce it. Oh, yeah. Right. And there's like half human, half a spider people. And they're not even enemies. They're, they want your yep. help when you go in there yeah but like i just couldn't yeah, curse do it yeah they have like part like arms sticking out of like spider bodies and they're all mutated it scared me so bad i would like approach the door to the house and then i would go get my older brother and i'd be like please go in and <laughs> do this part for me talk to them for me i need a wallet please talk to the spider people because i don't know their language that's the only reason why i need you here yep but um he was always very accommodating in that way 
I thought the Majora's Mask version was was even scarier because like it had the um the father who was like mm-hmm. basically begging for help. Yeah, I never liked the the spider aspect of Zelda very much. They've they haven't really done it as much in the later games. I think they kind of realize that people do have like phobias. No, I I don't think there is a spider in Breath of the Wild. Yeah. Which is a weird thing to think about because that used to be like their go-to enemy. Yeah, it is kind of surprising that it's not in Breath of the Wild. Maybe they'll bring it back for Breath of the Wild too. Big spiders. That's our that's our prediction. We're calling it right now. <laughs> that's gonna be the new gameplay element. Oh yeah. Well, let's get this spooky episode going. So, it should be noted that while we're recording this episode, it is the morning time for Push in Japan, mm-hmm. and it is uh, nighttime here in Indiana, where I live, and uh, it's getting dark, there's a storm warning, and I can hear some, like, thunder, you know, off in the distance, and so it's, like, the perfect spooky setting for me. It might be beautiful in Japan, but I'm just letting you know. Yeah, it's, it's actually really nice outside right now. <laughs> Don't ruin it for me. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, just gotta keep the spooky vibes. And I will say this this episode does cover some like more mature content, I guess, like, you know, people dying, people being murdered and murdering each other um, and some demon stuff. So I'll try not to get too graphic about it. But kids, if you need to check with your parents, you know, I don't know how many young listeners we have, but just in case <laughs> this, is my, this is my warning to them. I mean, they, they all should have been scared from the scary push, Dustin. Oh, right. Yeah, they would have run away already. Yeah, so I think I think we're safe. Oh, we're safe. Thank goodness. Okay, so today's episode is focused on the Clock Tower series. Are you familiar with this series at all? I definitely have heard of it. Okay. I know some basic information about it, but I don't know a lot. Yeah, well, my thought going in was like, it's kind of a classic. I don't know that much mm-hmm. about it. And I was a little worried that there wouldn't be enough information about it on the web. Mm-hmm. Boy, was I completely wrong. <laughs> There's like way too much information. But uh, we'll get started with the director of the game, whose name is Hifumi Kono. He actually got to college and started making little card games on his own. And he made like a Yakuza card game where you tried to like take over other people's turf and his classmates were like loved it so much that he was like hmm Mm. maybe i don't want to be an accountant like i had planned on maybe i want to work in the gaming industry (laughs) and uh he knew like some you know coding skills i think he knew some basic and decided that he was just going to start like passing his resume out to every game company that he could find that had an opening And the only one he heard back from was a place called Human Entertainment, Mm -hmm. which sounds like the name of a development company that a robot would come up with. Yeah. (laughs) Who's like trying to pretend like, yes, human entertainment. Yes, yes, we are for the humans. (laughs) So he decided not to become an accountant and he got hired on at Human Entertainment in 1991. And they were a developer that was kind of known for sports titles. They have this series called Fire Pro Wrestling mm-hmm. that was, uh, it's probably one of the biggest wrestling series in Japan, at least. 
and they had a lot of weird kind of experimental titles because they had students come in who were like you know currently learning how to make games to help out and so they had one called the firemen which was where you played as firemen you know putting out fires and stuff and there's a whole dramatic story oh, okay not not like a man on fire no <laughs> that's the human torch i think yeah and uh they had one called sos which was a game about like you're stuck on a sinking ship and you have to try and like save yourself or save other people um it's kind of like a point and click like adventure type deal they um had just got done making those and they decided that they were going to make another point and click adventure and uh kono was like "Ooh, i love all this spooky stuff why don't we make a point and click adventure that's like horror based and they were like yeah sure do that <laughs> because you know <laughs> why not we have all these people so the first game in the clock tower series is called shockingly clock tower mm -hmm. and uh it came out for the super famicom on uh, september 14th 1995 so this is kind of near the end of the super famicom's like lifespan you know the n64 is coming yeah. the next year and a lot of horror games especially like resident evil the whole thing is survive and defend yourself like you know you have a gun you have a knife you have some kind of a weapon or of a way to attack back and this was less about fighting back and more about just like don't die find a hiding spot you know escape out the window that kind of thing mm -hmm. though there are times when your character is like struggling with other people and you have to just smash your panic button whatever that one you know is assigned to mm. there's a little portrait of the main character this girl in the corner and when it flashes red you just have to smash that button until you get away or get killed so it's, it's a little different uh compared to other horror games at the time i wish i had a panic button by the way in real life <laughs> that you could just smash you're like uh oh i'm at the store and i forgot my wallet and i'm at the checkout panic panic panic, <laughs> panic, panic. panic. <laughs> at which point you just push someone over and run away that is a legit like fear like as an adult like you go to like the store and you realize you don't have your wallet or something like you have all this stuff and you're just like i can't buy any of this stuff my greatest fear is that i'm going to not have my wallet after a haircut mm. because how do i you know what i mean yeah, yeah. like I can't be like, glue that hair back on my head. Like, it's done. Yeah. You already gave me the service. Like, what do I do at that point? At least if it's like a, a supermarket or something, you'd be like, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, you, you know, I'll be right back. At, you know, you can put these back on the shelf if you <laughs> feel like I'm lying to you. But Exactly. So Kono's biggest inspiration, uh, there's two of them, actually. One was Alone in the Dark, mm. which is a famous uh, horror series, one of the very first survival horror series that came out uh, for computers in 1992. Very similar, trapped in a mansion. There's all these horrible creatures who are out to get you. And the second one was the fact that this game was going to be loosely based on a movie called Phenomena, which was released in the United States as Creeper. And this was mm. a Italian-made movie, but it was in English by a famous horror director called Dario Argento. Does that name sound familiar at all, Push? No, it does not. It should, because we, I actually brought him up on the bonus episode for the Famicom Detective Club. He was the inspiration for the Famicom Detective Club as well so it's crazy yeah i was not expecting to don't gasp too much you're gonna pass out again <laughs> <laughs> just the noise of like your head like uh, hitting the table oh. <laughs> this game 
gets made and i'll talk about like what happens in the game and the story and stuff but it's important to note that after it came out on the super famicom it didn't like do super well but well enough that they ported it to pc in march of 1997 and then they kind of like remade it for the playstation in july of 1997 Mm. so clock tower for the super famicom and then there's clock tower the first fear which is an enhanced port that came out for the playstation and it had like better graphics it had some cut scenes that were like you know actually like acted out it had new bad guys better bad guys Mm -hmm. you know all sorts of like little sound effects and things added to make it a little smoother wait like better bad guys is that like you know bad guys who like reform themselves i think like they're like bad guys anonymous and they're just like you know i don't actually like hurting people (laughs) no not better uh morally better like better at killing you yeah yeah, or like scarier maybe smarter yeah yeah that sound means that we're putting the episode on pause just for a moment so we can briefly explain how you can support memory card If you enjoy our content, you can show your support by leaving positive reviews on your podcasting service of choice. Four or five stars and a few kind words go a long way when it comes to convincing others to give the show a listen. So please do so if you find the time. Spreading the word is also super helpful. If you know anyone who's into gaming or history, or maybe even both, you should consider sharing memory card with them. Every season, we strive to reach a wider audience and you can help. If you're feeling extra supportive, you can head over to patreon.com slash memcard. Every single one of our patrons gets access to early and ad-free episodes. Higher tiers include bonus episodes, shoutouts, stickers, and more. We certainly hope you'll check it out and consider becoming one of our lovely patrons. Once again, that's patreon.com slash M-E-M-C-A-R-D. Oh yeah, I put my uh, memory card sticker on my phone case. Uh, Where'd you put yours? Uh, yeah, I slapped one on my laptop, and I also put one on my skateboard helmet. Wait, you got more than one? Thanks for taking the time to hear us out. Let's get back to the show. I know you can hear me. Surprisingly, there was a port to the Wonder Swan, the handheld, mm. that was released in uh, late 1999 and is considered uh, like the worst version of the game. Oh. And this isn't usually like an interesting point, but I thought it was that when it launched for the uh, Super Famicom in 1995, the game cost 11,400 yen, which is like $115, which in 2021 is roughly $200. Oh, wow. It's like going out and spending $200 on a point and click game, a 16-bit one. Later, they made it available. For the uh, Nintendo Power cartridges, which push you've talked about many, many times in the past. Yes. Which are like little cartridges you could take to kiosks and load up games. And if you did it that way, it was only like $10. (laughs) So sounds like a much better deal. Yeah. So the story, as I mentioned before, that movie that it was kind of, you know, uh, inspired it. It stars Jennifer Connelly, the actress, as a character named Jennifer Corvino. So guess what the name of the character is in Clock Tower? Uh, Corvina? <laughs> no. Jennifer. Ah. Yeah, Jennifer played Jennifer, and now in the game that's based on it is called Jennifer. Very original. So Jennifer is adopted from an orphanage along with uh, four other girls by this rich woman whose name is Mary Barrows. And I feel like if you're, you don't adopt like five kids at once, 
that should be like a big, you know, like a uh, red flag for the person running the orphanage. Mm-hmm. But uh, she lives in a mansion with this big clock tower. This is where I put in the spooky thunder sound effect. And uh, almost immediately as she brings home these girls, she just like tries to start killing them, stabbing them, poisoning them, you know, luring them into traps. And uh, yeah, because it turns out that this woman, Mary, is into some like spooky stuff, Mm. uh, like occult devil worship. And um, a while back, she gave birth to a pair of demon babies. Oh, that's uh, that's always not good. Yeah, no. uh, Once again, big red flag. You got to check that kind of stuff. Orphanage. Yeah. So she's been luring victims into her home so she can kill them and feed them to her sweet little boys. Mm. And there's some weird background on that. Like the doctor who delivered the demon babies, as soon as they came out, he was like, whoa, these are demons. And then they started eating him. And and so she like locked him in a room so they could like feed off of him for a while. That's that's kind of nice of her, I guess. I mean, yeah, honestly, like throughout this game, she like really loves her children she really does but the problem is that they're they're demons yeah they're devil spawn so and and you might be like hey what about her husband the father of the demon boys well he like wasn't super thrilled about the whole um demon thing yeah and so she just she just kind of locked him up not to feed her children but just like hey you're gonna suffer like until you love your children oh i mean she has the you know the kid's best interest in heart yeah so let's talk about those kids. First, we have Dan. Dan borrows. So I want you to picture Jabba the Hutt, mm-hmm. but kind of like light pink, purple color, um, but with a big, big lumpy baby head mm. and very slimy. Okay, this is essentially what Dan looks like. Okay, and you really don't see him till the end of the game because he like lives in the basement in like some cave mm. um, because he's so big and, and terrifying. I am going to spoil this game for people, so I'm sorry. If you're, like, really looking forward to playing Clock Tower, um, the the original, I'm going to ruin it for you right now. Skip, like, five minutes. Yeah, yeah. So to when you escape from him, when you're smashing that panic button to get away from him, you basically knock a candle onto him, and he lights on fire and burns, you know, all of his body. However, it turns out that, that horrible slimy body of his was actually, like, a cocoon that was made of like the blood and flesh of his victims so says uh the director mr kono after the fact Mm -hmm. and in the famicom original he just like burns down he's dead however in the playstation version the enhanced one after he burns down there's another little boy inside of him Mm. and this is going this is going to come into play later oh speaking of other little boys the other boy bobby borrows which makes me think of like King of the Hill. Mm-hmm. Dang it, Bobby! Dang it, Bobby! <laughs> quit, quit killing the guests. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a kid that most people know. This he's like the main antagonist of the series. He's got this like ghostly, like skull, sunken face, and this like messy blonde hair. He wears like a a boy's school uniform, like little navy shorts and a matching jacket, and he also has a huge pair of bloody scissors which I thought were gardening shears, but every mm-hmm. time I look at the art, I think they're just really large scissors. And uh, yeah, he's a rascal, this one. Mm-hmm. He's the one who's like chasing you around the mansion, uh, trying to cut you up with his big scissors and eat you, I guess, since his mom wants that for him. 
the game doesn't have game overs. It has dead end scenarios, and the majority of them are the result of him killing you with his scissors, which is terrifying. And uh, to add some more horribleness to this fact, when asked why he gave the character scissors instead of something else like a knife or a gun, the creator, uh, Mr. Kono, said that he thought guns and knives were too instantaneous and he thought that scissors would be scarier because they like have to like take the time to close in on you. <laughs> and he wanted to, and I quote, express the duration of pain. That makes sense. It does, but in like a really kind of twisted, terrible sort of way. So as Jennifer, your objective for the game is to kill off the mom, Mary, kill the boys, and then escape. Mm -hmm. And you can also help save other girls along the way, because as you remember, you were adopted with, you know, four other girls. Unfortunately, you can't save um, all the girls, mm -hmm. but there are many different endings. You want to guess how many different endings they have to this game? I think I've read that somewhere. It's like 10. Very close. There's nine. Okay. Nine different endings. And they all have um, alphabetical like names, like ending A, ending B. Mm, so that way you can collect them all. Right. <laughs> it goes up to ending H and then it jumps to ending S, which... Ah, uh, for special. Yeah, as you know, in, in Japan is usually like the best one. Yeah. Depending on which ending you get, different things happen. And it's kind of surprising like how many different ways your actions early in the game can change things. But usually mm -hmm. you want to kill Mary and sometimes she gets pecked off the roof by crows. Sometimes you kick her off a ladder. Sometimes she gets electrocuted. You want to kill Bobby, who is the kid with the scissors. Oh, I forgot to mention this. He's called Scissor Man, despite the fact that he's a child. That's very original. Yeah, that's a name that kind of comes back in the, in the later games. But um, to kill Bobby, you have to get the clock tower bells going, a ringing, and then it like messes with his ears and he falls off and dies. That's the only way to kill Bobby. And there are two endings where you like steal a car and just like drive it through the wall of the mansion. One of them, like Bobby appears in the back with his scissors and gets you. And then there's another one where you just like you make it. But then it's like, oh, you escaped from the mansion. But three days later, you were killed. Like, what? <laughs> That's not fair. You can't even control. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you, you want to get one of the good endings, which I think is just like S, A, B, or C. And uh, A, B, and C are the only ones that are considered canon endings based on the next game. And that's because the only two characters that are supposed to survive are Jennifer, the main character, and Edward. And if you're like, who is Edward? That is the child that came out of Dan when you burned him alive. <laughs> mm. And in the second game, he takes on the mantle of the scissor man. And so the brother, he's like avenging his, you know, twin brother. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's very weird. So as far as legacy clock tower, one of the first survival horror games on consoles, like I said, you know, alone in the dark had already come out. There were some other games, but it did beat Resident Evil to the uh, PlayStation, I believe, and uh, quite a few other famous horror games. Years later, it would come out on the Wii Virtual Console, the Wii U, and then the PlayStation version would come out on the Japanese PlayStation Network. As far as sequels go, there was uh, Clock Tower 2, 
which was just known as Clock Tower in the rest of the world, because this was the first one that got released internationally. Mm -hmm. The other ones are all just uh, Japan exclusive. And if there's any versions out there that you've seen, it's because someone decided to do like a fan translation of it. So Clock Tower 2 came out in 1996. Uh, Kono reprised his role as the director, Mm -hmm. and the story takes place in Norway, and once again, Scissor Man is out to uh, to get you. And while they were making this game, Resident Evil came out, and they were all like, "Whoa, this game's awesome!" And we have to, you know, compete with it now. So they tried to add more like 3D graphics and stuff into it to create like a higher quality game. And then along with this in Japan as well, they released two novels. Uh, one was about Jennifer, and one was about a different character named Helen. And a radio drama based on the game, which I thought was kind of interesting in 1996. Are radio dramas pretty popular in Japan still? Um, I mean, this was like 1996, right? Yeah, yeah. So I would say probably uh, popular at that time. Japan is weird. Like in some areas, they're very, very advanced. And in other areas, they're like stuck in the past. Like fax machines are still used here mm-hmm. uh, quite regularly. Like uh, one time when I went to go to the hospital for a checkup like they had a whole corner where it was just dedicated to sending your company a fax like if you're going to be late wow it seems like the worst way to contact anybody you're like hey let me let me let me page them instead yeah (laughs) so after uh clock tower 2 which was just called clock tower everywhere else we have clock tower ghost head which was called uh clock tower 2 the struggle within elsewhere in the world that's a much better name. Yeah. That came out in 1998. This was the third entry. It was not directed by Kono and is considered to be a spin-off in Japan because it didn't have like a numbered release. It wasn't officially, um, you know, part of it. Mm-hmm. And then we have Clock Tower 3, which is the fourth entry in the series, if that's not confusing enough. So at this point, mm-hmm. Human Entertainment has gone under. They've gone bankrupt and the studio has been dissolved and the rights to Clock Tower have been sold off. So this game was co-produced by Capcom and Sunsoft, who had the rights and release on the PlayStation 2. And this one, they really kind of, you know how some games, they take the original plot and they kind of push it a little too far? Yep. (laughs) I feel like this happens, especially with like reboots and stuff. Mm -hmm. Clock Tower 3 was about this 14-year-old girl who's part of this like family of female warriors who travel through time to defeat evil spirits, which... It's like, yeah, a little different than like I got invited to a mansion and someone's trying to kill me. Yeah. And then in 2005, um, a game came out that was called Haunting Ground that is thought to be the next game in the series or it was supposed to be. And they decided that they were just going to like make it into its own thing. And then many years later, in 2015, Kono decided that he was going to do a Kickstarter to try and make a spiritual successor mm-hmm. to Clock Tower, but like with all new characters, it's called Night Cry. And guess what the big enemy is? Uh, scissors guy? Yeah, a guy with big scissors. Yep. <laughs> I mean, if it's a spiritual successor, I'm sure like they just have stand-ins for the characters because of uh, copyright issues. Right, right. Yeah, they raised uh, $314,000, which is, you know, quite a bit. And um, I guess the game was worked on on and off for a long time. 
before they actually released it and then it was just kind of like not the best kind of mediocre kickstart like game development is really pricey and like kickstarting a game it's like a mixed bag Mm-hmm. usually the games that do really well on kickstarter i feel like they are already have funding in place yeah sometimes they they really do well and they actually like stick to their promises and the game is produced decently quickly and other times it just goes poorly we should definitely do a, a kickstarter episode next season yes everyone wants to talk about mighty number no. nine yeah and <laughs> the 3ds version is still coming oh yeah definitely so this game, Nightcry, was made by uh, Kono's new studio, which is called Nude Maker. <laughs> okay. And uh, I looked, I looked into it, and he said it's called Nude Maker because he always makes games when he's naked, and then he laughs and says, "No, I'm just joking." <laughs> um, it's because he feels like uh, studios like aren't like upfront with their fans enough, yeah. and so Nude Maker's like we're like putting it all out there. Like you're gonna know everything, you're gonna see everything. And uh, they worked on quite a few games, uh, most notably Steel Battalion. Oh, okay. Which is a game that somehow we haven't covered yet that has like this ridiculously large control panel uh, controller. And then the last thing I wanted to talk about was that apparently they're supposed to be working on a Clock Tower movie. Oh, okay. However, it's been like announced and delayed many, many times. Um, It was first announced in 2006. And then it uh, got the axe, and then uh, someone else picked it back up in 2008, and then once again it got shelved. And then in 2011, David R. Ellis uh, said that he was going to be directing the film. And uh, if you don't know who that is, he is the guy who directed Snakes on a Plane. Ah. And uh, unfortunately, he died two years later in 2013. So no one actually knows if there ever will be a clock tower movie and that is the spookiest fact (laughs) (laughs) and that's the spooky ending to a spooky episode That's all for now. Thanks for listening. Our intro and outro music was crafted by talented chiptune composer Jamatar. You can find more of his banging beats by searching Jamatar, that's J-A-M-A-T-A-R, on Spotify or visiting Jamatar.com. If you have any feedback on the podcast or would like to recommend a topic, feel free to reach out to us via Twitter, at MemCardShow. Or you can visit our website, MemoryCardShow.com. If you'd like to follow Ben and I, we can be found at SuperBentendo and at PushDustin, respectively. Have you considered supporting Memory Card on Patreon? If not, we hope you will. Currently, we're supported by quite a few awesome people, all of which get access to early, ad-free episodes. These people include Jackson Bertoli, Taylor Bias, Cody Sam, Michael Strickland, Tyler Davis, Courtney Cotton, Harrison, Jorge Bajija, Manuel Vitella, Ray Schneider, Shala, Nick Callis, Sandra L., Robert Melville, and Aaron S. All of our Patreon info can be found on the support section of our website or on patreon.com slash memcard. We'll be back really soon with some more gaming history goodness, so be sure to subscribe and leave a review if you've enjoyed the show. We'll see you soon.